This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Let Alliance in Trust help you plan for what's next. Visit aewealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show. We've got a new table. We've got a new look. We've got new exciting things going on. And today we have a guest who's been on the show before, um, who is a friend and I think one of the best guys out there uh, as a guerrilla journalist. And that is my friend Jorge Ventura. Hey, Bryce. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm loving the new look. Yeah. well, It's, we're, it's official. Well, we're getting there. You yeah. know, we, we got some signs going on the walls. We got I got to put some interesting stuff on the tables. You know, we're changing the colors of the orange on the walls and little things like that. So Chipping it's a, at it, dude. One day yeah, at a time. A, One day it's at a time. Work in, uh, it's a work in progress. And, you know, not all the trains run on time with some of these things. <laughs> but it's coming together. So, yes, so I'm excited. Um, before we launch into what we're going to talk about, um, I have a special announcement for people who are in um, or near the Southern California community or here in Thousand Oaks. Um, during the pandemic, you know, everything in the world shut down, as everybody knows. And there were um, like all of these um you know, music venues and, you know, everything like everything came to a standstill. Nobody was doing anything except for we opened the church here to yes. the Caneo Valley Youth um, uh, Symphony and organization, right? Uh, orchestra, Caneo Valley Youth Orchestra. Yes, I got that right. And as a part of that, like, you know, they they wanted to keep it going. And of course, it went down to kind of a little remnant. But Alex Seitlin, who runs that um, kept them going. My daughters, uh, all three of them are violinists and were in that community orchestra. And that thing mm. had been going for, you know, I think it just celebrated its 60th year. And so he didn't want this thing to die. And we knew that these kids weren't going to die by performing music together. And so many people in that space lost their minds, but yeah. he kept it going. And then as a part of that, be, uh, people who started to realize that this COVID thing wasn't all it was cracked up to be and these kids weren't dying and everything from like very well-known schools like Colburn School of Music and people around the country were paying attention like oh look music is being played okay there's still orchestras that are going and so Alex created this California Youth um, Symphony and or um, ca the California Young Artists Symphony what they call CIOS and what he did there was take this like pre-professional group. So kids that graduated out of the youth orchestras that are now in college, mm. that are kind of like the premier kids around the country that are, you know, coming into adulthood, um, about to go pro, uh, you know, in the music world. And he brought them all together. Well, nobody else was doing it. So he got like the, uh, you know, lead concert master from the Met to come out and be the conductor, um, uh, uh, David Chen, um, 
Um, he got a bunch of just famous and amazing people to come in and sit in with these kids. And so it, it, it blows away any other orchestra around. I mean, it's, it's really that That's amazing, good. man. Yeah. So they have a performance, and this is why I said this is for the local folks. They've asked me to, you know, say a word about it and let everybody who's interested know that on February 5th, which is a Sunday at 7 p.m. at the uh, Cavalry Theater here in Thousand Oaks, um, they are going to be doing it again. So if you are interested in that concert, um, you can uh, go in and buy tickets um, on the California Young Artists Symphony website. And, you know, you could find that pretty, pretty quick with Google. And we will also put uh, a link to it. So anybody wants to buy tickets for that. But, um, you know, they've asked us to mention it here on the show. And That's I think awesome, it's a great man. thing. Go support everybody. Please. Yeah. 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 I mean, be, but again, you know, you, you to see these kids that, you know, would not have been able to play otherwise during yeah. that time, you know, have that venue to keep it going was pretty special. I've so. ever seen those pictures of like kids like playing the flute and they were like in this like bubble Dude. rap thing in the classroom. And yeah. I was just, like, uh, you know, and, and Alex said, hey, if you want to wear a mask, fine. Yeah. And some of the kids did. If you don't. You know, don't. That's fine, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, didn't make any special uh, arrangements for him. We had Dennis Prager come out and actually conduct the kids' orchestra in 2020. Oh, wow. I, I made those arrangements through some of my friendships man, over Dennis there. Dennis Prager could do everything, huh? Yeah, he can conduct. Yeah, and, and that's actually a great passion of his. Yeah, so, yeah, well, so, um, I learned something new. Yeah, so we had him come out and do that with the with the kids, and it was super special. And he, and he broke down in tears doing it because again he was a guy who oh, right, goes right, to yeah. you know orchestras all the time and that's such a part of his life and then you know in 2020 all that to stuff see it shutting almost down go away. yeah 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 so so it was cool and he talked to them about totalitarianism and his experiences in Russia it was pretty special that's awesome man yeah, yeah so. Dennis is a legend so hey uh, anyway well thanks for indulging me and let me do that it's for the kids <laughs> uh, but um I want to talk uh, specifically with you about a bunch of things because, man, uh, when I I'm not exaggerating when I say that you were one of the heroes out there. Oh, if not you, for you, a lot of the um, things during like the 2020 riots and you know the summer of love um, would not have been out there without you. A lot of the things that are going on at the border would not yep. be out there um, I, and and not be documented. The mainstream media has been doing great evil in suppressing so much of what's out there and guys like you who are risking it because man it's dangerous what you're doing um it's huge so anyway i I wanted to first just talk about your background and how you kind of got into this uh and then let's let's get into the meat of you know what it is you've been doing yeah no i'm excited uh bryce we always have very good conversations we ran into each other just recently too in phoenix for the for tpusa um you know, so for me right now, I'm, I'm 27 years old, reporter for the Daily Caller. Um, you know, my background is, you know, both of my parents are immigrants from El Salvador. Um, they actually came in the early 90s when we had the Civil War over there. Mm-hmm. So for folks who don't know, we had a Civil War in El Salvador. Russia actually tried to get involved. At that time, it was the Soviet Union, tried to uh, infiltrate the left side, which is the guerrillas. Uh, Ronald Reagan wanted to obviously get involved because he needed to protect those out from going f- full communist. And then also for Ronald Reagan, he doesn't want a communist country right there, basically near United States. So my father was actually um, forced to be a teenage soldier at the age of 14. My mom has had a pretty traumatic experience growing up in the Civil War. They came to the United States. Um, you know, my dad... 
went straight into the trucking business. I'm actually really thankful for truckers. So if you're a trucker out there, I'm, I appreciate truckers. I know what they go through. Um, trucking literally saved our lives, you know, literally put food on the table for us. So um, my dad, by the age of 25, could own a home in Downey, California. Could have my mom stay home if she wanted to. And I grew up with the nice, what I would say, the nice middle class life back then where your mom stayed home, your, da- your dad worked. You know, we, we weren't rich, we weren't poor. You know, we'd go on vacation every every summer. Um, and, it, you know, that's how we, 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 we were raised yeah, um, american dream frankly you know, it, 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 yeah. and it was exactly that um i'm grateful to like my you know my parents grew us up like i never even heard the word the word white privilege until like we were much older in like college and stuff you know my parents were never the people who were like oh you know the white man has this and we don't my you know my dad the way we were raised is if you want something uh first one in the door last one out it was all about putting in the hours so i was kind of raised with that really really good parents but for some reason, Bryce, maybe we could, we, you know, a lot of like young males probably feel the same. I don't know what it was, but in high school, I just turned rebellious for no reason. I had good parents. It wasn't like I came from a broken home. Uh, got lost in alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, was popping painkillers. I was actually like oh, an wow. all-star basketball kid at that time. I was like playing travel ball, um, dropped out of basketball because I just got lost in the drugs and alcohol and just, just was like a lost teenager. And, you know, when I turned 18, life kind of hit me a little bit because all of my all of my friends were focused on like their actual future. So like when we graduated, they all went to Pepperdine and UCLA and like these great schools. And I was like that kid that was like stuck in his hometown, absolutely like loser, had nothing going. Um, during this time, I've always in the back of my mind had this dream of like wanting to be a sports reporter. Like I always had that uh vision and then so when i was 18 I, I worked a bunch of odd jobs sales factory jobs and around 21 i fell into a big uh depression that actually i think really saved my life i i actually went to san diego i was actually a sales manager of a sprint at that time so at that time i was doing good like financially i was 20 years old 21 i had my own place in san diego california which is not easy to do for folks who know yeah i had a sports car i, I thought like i was like the man and in six months into this job of like me thinking i'm the man because of this illusion i fell into this big depression and like every day bryce i always actually go to work and i would have this thought in my head and the thought would always be jorge if you if you died right now like if someone just came in the mall and just shot you all I'm going to be remembered as is like, is this kid who sold people iPads. Like that's all my legacy is. And I'm like, there has to be more to life than this. So, you know, I called my mom. I put, and you know, mom always gives the best advice. My mom was like, Hey, Hori, like just put your pride down, move back home, go to school. You always wanted to be a sports reporter. Like, you know, start, start working towards that dream. And I did exactly that. I, I put my pride down. I quit sprint. I lost a sports car. I actually let, let it get repoed. I oh, went, wow. I went, I went to go move back home. As, and anyone who knows it, that's extremely tough to do at that age. Yeah. Because at first you're like, Hey, the kid who made it out of his hometown. And then you come back and, you know, started from, from nothing. I actually had a, an uncle who was a sports reporter in Telemundo at that time. He's still with them, Sal Rodriguez. What I liked about my uncle is he was never the guy to be like, hey, I'm going to give you an internship or I'm going to help you out just because we're related. He drilled me. He was like, you are not good enough right now to for me to give any, any opportunity, so you need to develop. So at 21, I actually started going uh, back to community college at in Valencia and actually was majoring to be a sports reporter. So that's what I was actually doing. So I was only covering sports. I was doing you know the high school stuff, college stuff, just developing my voice my dream was to be on espn during that time and i was you know doing everything i um telemundo gave me an internship when i was 23 years old which was extremely rare to get an, um an internship with telemundo because they were connected with nbc news meaning that like they were getting internship applications from thousands of kids every yeah. day from penn state um, syracuse northwestern ucla so all the big schools i was just going to a community college but 
I, I still got got in. Um, one of actually the biggest moments in my life was like in the internship meeting. You know, most internships it's, it's about like getting other people coffee. But what I was grateful, at least at NBC at the time, they came in and were like, "Hey, you ten in here are here for a reason. Like you're not here to like get people coffee. Like we need you to come in here, bring ideas, like chase stories. Like you're, we get thousands of these applications. You're, you guys are selected, and that was a big moment for me. I was like, you know what, I'm I'm here. Let me deliver. So one thing that like I would do was before the producer would come in, I would come in two hours before him. I would do all of his work. I would have it done. So by the time the producer came in, the show was lined up. Everything was done. And then like when when it was time to go home, all the interns would go home at six or seven. I would stay to 10 p.m. Like I was crazy. And I didn't even care that I worked for free. Like I was I was just like I just knew that I was hungry. Like I knew that I was going to outwork everyone. So as I'm developing myself and everything during this time, um, we're kind of swinging around that 2016 election with Trump. Politics is getting f- absolutely fascinating at this time. And up to this point, I didn't even care about politics. Like, if yeah. you told me what a Republican Democrat was, I couldn't explain it to you. For the Alliance Interest family, finances in their blood. I grew up with them, and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now, even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance in Trust help you to plan for what's next. Visit AEWealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. But I was getting infatuated by the, by the campaigns. Um, also during this time, which was really sad, is we had a, a couple actually school shootings. So we had, we actually had one in Highland High School, which is by my hometown. Um, so when the school shooting happened, I ended up winning to go cover it as a breaking news story because it was happening in my hometown. Even though I was a sports reporter, I said, "Hey, let me just go cover it." And I remember the feeling of driving to the school shooting, and the, basically everyone is leaving, but you, mm-hmm. I was the only car going in. Yeah, and that was the first time that I got the adrenaline in Russian reporting. And I remember I parked my car, you know, covered the shooting, talked to witnesses and everything. And when I put the story out, people started messaging me and saying, hey, Jorge, like you did a much better job than like the local ABC New or like KTLA here. That's cool. And when I got that, I'll, it was the first time that I got a feeling that I was like my reporting was valuable. What I mean by that is like up to that point, you know, sports reporting is only cool to guys. Like, it, And that's it. Right. Like that's, that, that's your base. So I covered that. That was a big deal. It's actually kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy because we're in Thousand Oaks right now, but the other... Story that had a big kind of influence on me switching was a Thousand Oaks shooting. There yeah, was a shooting sure. a few yeah. uh, a few years ago. Borderline. The guy goes into the borderline bar, you know, kills over ten people, even kills a police officer. I covered that as a as a college student. I remember I was in Palmdale when the story was breaking out around midnight. I got to Thousand Oaks about one thirty in the morning and just was covering it till like seven in the morning. And after that, I, I I kind of already made the decision and said, like, I'm I'm not doing sports anymore. Like, I'm not going to be interviewing coaches about halftime and stuff. I want to cover real stuff and real stories. And then um, after the end of my internship at Telemundo, the producer actually pulled me aside and said, hey, Hori, like you're really good at what you do. You have a future in this. He's like, but you have one flaw. And I was like, what's the flaw? He's like, I could tell when I look in your eyes, you don't know if you're committed in being a sports journalist or like a, this political breaking news guy. And he's like, all I got to tell you is you got to pick one. And then right there, I told him, I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm going this way. I'm done with sports. So that was... Right there, it kind of started kind of this whole thing of where we are now. Um, we it's where we are now, where 
I quit sports. I went full into political reporting. It was around 2016 with Trump, and I just went full deep. 2017, 2018, I started covering uh, when a Democrat started campaigning for the for, to get ready for 2020. So when Andrew Yang came down, Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, um, I was just covering those trails, and I just became obsessed with politics and just really hit it from there. And basically, we came to 2019, 2020 is when I got my internship with the Daily Caller, and I think that's when everything really changed. But it was really doing that early work in my 20s, making the sacrifices and just seeing what worked, what, what didn't. And um, yeah, you know, Trump running in 2016 was a big deal because it, it, it seemed at that point, everyone that you talked to was obsessed with politics. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay, um, so a couple of uh, questions actually that I want to hit and explore just because I think it's interesting. So first, you said that uh, you went off the deep end, you know, as a kid and, you know, went a little wild, but, you know, parents did everything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right or by the book, you know. Um, what were you thinking at the time as you were kind of going down that path? You know, I, I think a lot of, especially like young males and um, during that time is we just wanted like acceptance from our social group. And I okay. think at that time I just got lost in like what was cool at that time was perceived was you drinking alcohol, even though we weren't 21. Right. And so you just got sm- caught up in it, smoking weed, popping pills. Um, and I just really, really caught up in it to the point where like, I just cared more about what my friends thought than my own family. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't even know like the pain I was causing my mom during that time. Uh, you know, my parents just thought that like they did a bad job parenting, which which it wasn't. Um, and then when I was 16 and junior in high school, I got pulled over for uh, drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And actually had a uh, my friend who was a sophomore, 15, 15 years old. And then when the cop even pulled me over, he said, Hori, like, you know, if I hit you with all these felony charges, like you're not going to get a license till like you're 24. You know, you're drinking and driving, all this stuff. And I was just going down this horrible, horrible path. And it's weird because I was going down this horrible path, yet in the back of my mind, knowing that like I did have this dream um, that I really wanted to chase. And I just think, you know, just got completely lost in it. And um, I'm really glad I got pulled out. Yeah, well, and the, and the reason I, um, I I brought that up and wanted to, to ask, because I think there's several reasons why people go sideways. You know, it's not always the same reason, um, but um, you um, sh- it should offer some hope to families because there's people that listen to the show that, you know, they've got a you know, kid who's gone sideways. Mm-hmm. And um, as Christians, you know, we've, we've got the verse um, that says, hey, uh, train your child up in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, it says when he is old, he will not depart from it because there's a lot of kids that go sideways for a time. Some of that is like those peer pressure or external pressures and, you know, getting caught up in things and, you know, running around with the wrong people, which there's all sorts of proverbs about that, Um, you know, because choosing your friends wisely. And by the way, you can choose in many ways your children's friends. And by that, I say, by paying attention early on, you know, who you're spending time with in terms of like family dynamics, you know, like, are you spending time with families that have kids that are your kids' ages that share your values, Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to help curate um, the right relationships for your kids, you know, putting them in the orbit of other good people are how you make those connections. If you leave it by default to what they're going to be around, especially in a, in a public school, take them out of public schools, um, or even in a private school, because there's a lot of private schools that have really bad kids yes. and kids that are caught up in drugs and all that stuff too. I mean, we have a local powerhouse um, uh, private school here that has a ton of drug issues and things like that that are going on. So, um, 
parents be encouraged that also, you know, you that that kid can go through mm-hmm. terrible times. You could have, you know, uh, a year or two of no sleep at night based on this. And you got to let some of that stuff go because you can only control them to a certain extent. Um, you know, when, when they're young, you know, um, oftentimes, depending on the personality, and I used to say this to my middle daughter, because she's just intense. I, you know, I would say, Mia, nobody can control Mia, but Mia. You know? yeah. And at some point, you're going to have to decide, you know, that you are going to be in charge of your emotions, and you're going to, you know, be the captain of them, not them be the captain of you, because dad can't do it for you. Exactly. You know, so so anyway, um, I, I stopped you there and, and said that because that's encouragement, you know, yeah. to some parents that think that, you know, their, their kid could be lost forever so you know god bless you for for having that in the back of your Mm -hmm. mind and bless god who uh you know clearly you know had you in mind for other things yeah it's 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 incredible and i think like i said right like the the thing that changed my life was just having that question repeated as a 21 21 year old saying if i die today what's going to be my legacy yeah and and that right there was the 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 huge turning moment obviously having a strong family and friends pulling you back um yeah, it's just great. grateful. And then, you know, just one day at a time, chipping at it. Even even throughout all of my troubles, I've always been like the dreamer. Like I always had this uh feeling that I was gonna supposed to accomplish something or at least do something yeah, different and then for something life. more. Yeah. And yeah. and even when in high school, then after after like even like when I was after eighteen and just kind of going through all these odd jobs, um, I didn't feel aligned with what like I was supposed to do. It was almost like I don't know if it's like a destiny thing. Yeah. Um but I'm just glad glad it did, and then just working, just yeah. went went back at it, working on myself, having a good relationship with my parents. Uh, one thing, you know, I'm really grateful. My mom and dad like never, never gave up on me. I mean, they could have gave up on me like a long time ago. Amen. And, and they they never did, and and they pulled me back, and that's you know I'm here with you today, and we're able to kind of talk about everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I love it. At what point did you start to um, adopt more of a conservative worldview. And and by the way, what's funny about that today, a conservative worldview, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, the Overton window has moved so far uh, to the left. It, the weirdos are in charge at the moment. So I, I was talking with um, a friend last night on the phone and he said, yeah, this guy, you know, he's not really a political guy. Um, he's not, he's not really conservative or anything, but he loves America. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like far right these yeah, days. Yeah. I love America. <laughs> you know, this is an Egyptian guy who's a, who's a you know, crypto genius. And, uh, and, and oh, he loves America. You know, he's not really political and he's not really right or left, but he loves America. Ooh, well, you know, he'd be, he'd thrown, be, far right he'd be thrown down a dark well by the left, uh, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a super conservative by just saying that America is a good place. How do you say I love you? Is it with flowers? chocolate? Can jewelry express true love? In the end, they all fall short. The only thing that can completely communicate the depths of your affection this Valentine's Day is meat. Not any meat, though. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold is imported from overseas. That's why it has to be Good Ranchers. 100% American hand-trimmed steakhouse-quality meat delivered to your door. Don't say it how you always have. Say it with meat. Right now, you can get $30 off when you order any box from Good Ranchers and use the code BRYCE. This is a gift sure to add sizzle to that special day, whether on the grill or in a pan. Nothing simmers like prime cuts of beef, pasture-raised chicken, and premium quality seafood. You can get it all 
at GoodRanchers.com. Perfect for the lady, the man, or yourself this Valentine's Day. Good Ranchers is the gift that keeps on grilling. Ditch the usual gifts that just don't cut it anymore. Say it with American meat instead. Snag your $30 off with my code BRYCE at GoodRanchers.com today. Love is in the air, and it smells just like, you guessed it, Good Ranchers. Save $30 on your unique gift this Valentine's Day by visiting GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. So, you know, for me, I think it started to happen um, maybe a little bit late, not till more, I would say, like 2018, uh, 2019-ish. The, the the thing for well for us for me Bryce is like being a uh, you know Salvadorian raised mm-hmm. in like kind of the Catholic conservative lane that a lot of like Latinos and Hispanics are the huge thing for us was uh, the changing of the sexes and once we started getting into this unnatural boys could be girls girls could be men you're not saying men can't get pregnant though right because <laughs> that's a bridge too far man that's a bridge too far um once you started seeing those traditional roles just being messed with um it just you just felt something was off yeah um so i think that would really started to to pull me into that worldview and me just kind of looking back through history and just understanding things um but that that's a big one for Latinos. I think for one thing that people forget is like Latinos are very social conservative. And when I actually talk to like some of my my white Republican yeah. friends, I try to tell them I said, look, as of right now, in the political sphere, white Republicans have given up the gay marriage battle. And what I mean by that is they already accepted it. They're okay with it. Um, you know, some of them say, hey, it's you know, twenty twenty three, whatever. They've already gave up on that issue, and I'm, I'm not criticizing. That's not that's not my my role here. But what, right. I, what I'm trying to say is, for context, is when you speak to Latinos, whether they're Democrat voters or Republican voters, that's an issue that they're still not okay with. Yeah. So if you have a population that isn't still not on board with gay marriage, now, now a lot of Latinos don't say this in publicly. That's right. how you don't you don't see a lot of, about this. So you have a population that's not okay with gay marriage, and then all of a sudden you introduce the trans stuff. For them, it's like we're moving at a million miles per hour, and it's like slow, slow down. And one of the biggest examples was that was actually uh, Glenn Youngkin's victory in Virginia. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people who don't know, obviously the critical race theory drew that issue. But when you look at the data, and actually I know this from my own reporting because we went there to do a documentary on it, um, Salvadoran voters, that Latino base there, was a huge reason that Glenn Youngkin won because this was a huge turnoff. Even though they might vote Democrat, this was that one issue that that was a, that's a bit bit too far. So for me, Bryce, that was that was like the they're turning the lane. I think a lot of Latinos. That was the one that was like, wait a minute, this is going way too fast. We're not even on board with with same sex marriage yet. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I found interesting about that here locally. You know, so we um, uh, we did a lot of outreach to the Latino community um, with a lot of the candidates that were running and things like that because we do have so many common values. But uh, one of uh, one of the uh, Latinos that we were talking to said uh, essentially um, that getting someone to not vote Democrat is like getting them to go to a different church, though. Even though there's that like disconnect, it's like, well, you know, we we still love our 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 church, or we still right. love uh, because we're loyal to it, 
even though they're, you know, preaching absolute apostasy or heresy right now. You know, so it was, it's kind of a funny disconnect. Now, for me, I, I wish in, in many ways that we did not have a two-party system. I don't know what the answer is other than I, I'm, I've am i been joking around that I'm going to create the normal people's party. <laughs> and in the normal people's party, you know, like one of our platforms will be men do not have vaginas. Yeah, you just, know? Normal, just, just the common just sense one, party. Just one of those platform I, uh, I want to add, Bryce, one of the, the issues with... Um, I don't know what you want to call it, but with, with Latinos and Hispanics, when it comes to voting in politics, it's so on, on when when we talk about the English side, that's what I mean. So like you have a Fox News, but you have a CNN, right? You know, you have a Daily Beast or the Young Turks, but you'll have like the Daily Wire, the Daily Caller, right? There's a right. there's that counter, but when it comes to the Latino and Spanish Spanish speaking news. It's just Univision and it's just Telemundo. Yeah. There isn't the other side, and it plays a huge role. Yeah, and we all know propaganda works. Obviously, yeah. we all saw what happened in 2020 with, with COVID with our own uh, American uh, neighbors here. Um, so that's a huge, huge deal that I think a lot of people don't recognize. It's like it's just two sides. It's like what happens if we just grew up with literally just a CNN and MSNBC? There was no Fox. Yeah, we, we would all be kind of brainwashed the same way. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no. You're, you, that's a that's an actually very fair and valid point. And and yeah. I mean, man, I, I lament all the time that things have narrowed down to these political tribal affiliations because, man, the Republicans are such a massive disappointment. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been taking to calling all of them public serpents because both the politicians on, on, you know, both political parties have completely failed us. We're all being fleeced by them. We're all being ripped off. You know, um, the, the entire government apparatus is moving against us. Now, of course, there's nice people that work in right. government jobs and there's good people that work in government jobs but it in and of itself becomes its own entity it's its own amorphous blob that's working against the self-interest um uh and and you know positivity of the american people and i wish that you know we could like throw them all out and then start all over you know <laughs> uh, that's that's exactly how i feel what's interesting about um my generation Bryce, so i'm 27 born in 95 um my generation not all but most despises both political parties because yeah. what our generation has been through this is what i mean so i was 13 2008 when the financial crash happened yeah my dad's a trucker we lost everything yeah everything terrible. so we lost our house everything and now that i'm older you know I'm, i do research about this stuff the majority of families, when they lost their house during the financial crash, got divorced. A lot of the the father figures in those households, because they lost their job or their main income, fell into depression, yeah. suicide. There was a high high rate of what they call death of despair. Men drinking themselves to death, yeah. taking drugs, overdosing. What what when, when the, the uh, when the wolf is at the door, love goes out the back. That and, that happens a lot, which is a shame because that's when you should come together. But you know, sad, but yeah. it is it is. And a I didn't rough realize that as a, as, a, as, yeah. a, as a as a kid. Kid, right and i'm and i was reading all this stuff and then what, what you know and it, it has a compound effect now you have these kids basically my my generation growing up without the father figure broken families mom falls into opioids because of this whole financial crash i'm great i'm thankful that my parents that did not happen they they made it through that but you, you what i'm trying to say is we saw that on the front lines. Like we saw that no, whether it was a right or left, no one came in there to save my, my dad's house. Like they, no one would have even care that we were homeless, but, but, but we made it through. No one came in to, to save us. So our generation saw that. Right. And then, then, you know, a few years go by, 
then our generation is the one that we find out that we got lied to about the Iraq war and how they took, you know, our cousins, our brothers, yeah. our sisters into this war where we just protected poppy fields for the yeah. for the Taliban. Then they came, came back with, with PTSD and these issues. So, you know, for us, um, we look at the Republicans, Democrats as, as a uniparty. And I think and, our, and they are. And, and I, I think, think that's fair. And I think that if you look at millennials now, that's why the majority are not on board with the Ukraine propaganda because we've been lied to about Iraq. When the it, it was crazy, Bryce, because when the whole 2020 COVID thing happened, and you know the mandatory vaccines came, and you know everyone was like, "Oh, you know they're trying to help us." I'm like, it's so funny how they, this is so mandatory. Now they care. What happened to 2008, dude? Yeah. You, you let our people, you that you let our dads kill themselves. You let um, people in my age grow up without father figures and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I took time to read those blogs, and and it's, it's just sad, and you know, it's just. That's why I think our generation feels the way they, they do. I'm not sure how that, that's going to translate these these next few years, but the millennials literally have we're in an era with, with no hope. Um, and if you look at everything, I don't know. There's not even too many millennials that are even going to own a home. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bryce to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000, and it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bryce to 989898 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bryce to 989898 today. Especially here in California. Yeah, no, listen, uh, um, and, and, you know, I hold the, you know, previous generations responsible for that. I, I think it's very easy, like the, you know, the boomer generation oh, right, right now is looking at the, the at the millennial generation and going, those dumb kids, you know, what are they doing? There's all kinds of criticism and there's some valid criticism, mm -hmm. you know, those lazy t entitled brats, you know, there is a lot of um, things that are wrong, right? But they're the ones that are responsible for a lot of it, man. I mean, they're the ones that created a lot of, you know, the um, issues that passed down. You know, now I'm, I'm Gen X, so we're clearly superior than kind of all of them. But, <laughs> no. um, uh, you know, we grew up without the Internet for a little while, at least, you know. Um, no, but there's, a, a, I think, great criticism that needs to be laid at the feet of the boomers and, you know, my generation even, um, because we did not do right um, with public policy, all of those sort of things, you know, um, you know, we, we stole from future generations by, you know, bad decision-making, all that stuff happened. We did not raise the kids right in a lot of regards. The, you know, the boomers did, um, great disservice to kids of the, um, the generation by, by trying to protect them when they were young, um, uh, from normal natural consequences, uh, nerfing everything. I mean, all of that stuff, you know, was, I think, a compounding effect that, you know, we're now seeing the fruits of, you know, it's interesting. It is. And then now the younger generation, like, I'm just fascinated by all these issues and, um, 
just economically where where we would be we're still even in 2023 we're still feeling the effects of that 2008 yeah um also democrats and republicans with the nafa deal shipping all those great manufacturing jobs that was straight theft Theft. That was straight and theft. No one from the financial 2008 crash um, is in jail right now for the responsibility. Like one, one dude, yeah, one well, low-end um, dude. But everyone who was like responsible for that, the home loaners, the banks, no one is in jail for that yet. Someone like Julian Assange, right? Someone, oh, yeah. a reporter who breaks uh, all the stories on the war crimes. Someone like him is in prison yeah. and. When we see that, our generation is that you almost just lose hope for for politics. You a lot of, I mean, I would say millennials are probably the most disenfranchised. I would say they they probably vote the least right now. And you know, for me, my role is just to be the guy on the ground and to share these stories that are real, um, whether people on the left or right like them or not. Is just to to share real stories of what Americans are going through um, after that 2008, you know, experience. It changes you. So, like, for me, I always wanted to give back in any way I can. And I think when 2020 happened, there was a good portion. Of course, you know, we covered the riots and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I spent a significant amount of time. It was actually all here in L.A. County where all we did was interview restaurant owners and waiters and to see, like, hey, how are you even making it with, like, no paychecks coming through? And and we we, we told those stories that, like, corporate media just absolutely ignored. It was just what, like, yeah. regular people went through. And um, actually, I remember speaking to a waiter, and he was like, you know, People don't know, but like a lot of waiters, our significant other is a waiter. So now we have two people with no income. We come home and we can't feed our kids. Our kids now want to kill themselves because they've been looking at a screen for eight hours a day. And you just tell these stories and it was just complete failure from both sides. No one came in to save anyone. And um, actually 2020 is when I got to read Pastor Ron McCoy, who was one of the few people that like was like, no, we are not closing our church down. Like, I don't care how unpopular it is. Um, and you needed those voices during that time. And I think, you know, um, if that pandemic, if anything like that happens again, I think those strong voices will be the ones to like actually lead the movement this time, or at least um, be the truth tellers of like what, what's really happened. I think in, in, in any way, Bryce, in 20 years from now, we're going to be at least to, to tell all the future generations like what really happened during 2020 the propaganda that went in and all the shutdowns and everything yeah i i think when uh you know fauci and you know his cohorts are all dead maybe we'll get to tell the truth um <laughs> uh, i mean you know but it's starting to come out you know yeah. as you know um you know every day you know more news is in our favor even corporate media is finally admitting to like all this you know n- now you read the new york times they're saying yeah. oh uh during the pandemic like kids lost a year uh, it's like okay now now it's safe to say but you weren't saying it in 2021 yeah yeah no we were just guessing yeah. we were just guessing that that's what the result would be and we just happened to get lucky that we were right yeah you because know, we're saying because we were saying at the beginning this is going to be devastating i i i went um it was like a uh next door okay so people were posting on next door and uh, i got shut down on next door for this and i got <laughs> shut down by our local little um uh, moderator and you know his name and where he, you know uh, where he lives I mean relative area was on there and you know and and this guy shut me down um, and their mission statement on next door is talking about things that affect our community and people were going back and forth about like hey this is this is not good for us and and then there was like real gentle back and forth no real debate or right, things right. like that and then the guy shut down the thread and he and and I uh, cut and paste like hey 
next door says that this is what this website's for. Is this not affecting our community? And then he kind of came back at me and I named him, you know, in the thread. And I said, this guy, you know, here's what this guy is doing, you know, shutting this down because this is a healthy thing. You know, we're all concerned about this. Um, it's like we're all adults. We can have the conversation. We should know? be able to have the conversation, you know. Um, but but they did not want to, you know, admit that things were going to be deleterious for the, you know, little shop owners and for the kids. And I said, this is going to affect lives and livelihoods far worse than any of the deaths will. I said the the, the uh, far-reaching consequences of this and what this is going to do to our children and all that stuff. And, and at this point, we were like two months into it or whatever with like they kept extending, extending, extending. And I go, oh, okay, I see the game that they're playing. And, and uh, they want to tell us that we just didn't know. But they, the smart people who were making the decision at the time, they had the information and they had the keys to it and all that stuff. And, and you know, they, they weren't wrong. Uh, we just got lucky. And, you know, the, the shutdowns at the end of the day, I mean, all that, that whole episode, um, it only hurt the very poor in the working class. Yeah. I mean, everything, you know, if you could even afford to shut down, I mean, the politicians, the rule makers, Everyone who was making these rules are the exact same people that like to preach the, we care about black and brown people, or we care yeah. about black and brown people. Well, the shutdowns, disapp- I mean, it just impacted black and brown folks, working class folks. Not only in the U.S., one thing that was never reported in, in mainstream media was what it did to the global south. Very, very poor countries. It, it put people into starvation. Um, that's never, never talked about. I was in Los Angeles interviewing immigrant-owned businesses, right, that like, if you turn on MSNBC, that's like they're, that's like, they're like, oh, we, yeah. we love immigrants, and we're like the side of the immigrants, and the Republicans are the scary side. Um, immigrant-owned businesses were losing everything. They couldn't uh, uh, apply for a PPP loan because they weren't um, technically like legal citizens. But Gavin Newsom wasn't there. Right. Um, uh, Katie Porter wasn't there. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wasn't there. And I got to see that. And I was, even as a young reporter, I started to like really realize like, oh, wait, it's this privileged laptop class that... They like to say the right things, right? The Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. uh, no human is illegal on stolen land. They say the terms. But when it's time for policy, it's those policies are actually punishing those people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was interviewing a bunch of Mexican immigrants all over South L.A. that were like, we don't have the we don't have the luxury to shut down and like order Uber Eats every day. Like yeah. I was interviewing like a Mexican lady who was like a, a street vendor. She was like. If like depending on how much I make is actually depending on how much I could eat today. So I don't I, I don't I, I can't afford to be the governor, sit behind his gates and order Uber Eats and have the most expensive wines. That's just not you know, not them. And and we those got are to all push the, those stores. And those are all the people, by the way, that are sitting behind the gates, you know, of their nice communities ordering Uber Eats that are like, We just have to sacrifice. Yeah. We're in this together. We just need to do it. Come on, guys, it's not that tough. How hard is it to wear a mask? <laughs> You know? It's the. I mean, if there's a, you know, if, they, if there's a term, you know, if you want to say white privilege, there's, yeah. there's not even. That's not even real. It's, I was it's floating neo, in my pool, man. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's neoliberalism, uh, privilege. You know, the very rich, the very best of the yeah. best. They got to stay home. They ordered steaks. They got wine to go, and everyone else yeah. suffered. And um, during this time, I was interning in at the Daily Caller in Washington D.C. So while being in Washington D.C., I said, "Oh, now I get it." Now I know why the working class issues never get told on corporate news because 
you guys can't relate to anyone in the working class. Everyone that works up here in the news is making a lot of money. Their their favorite restaurants never close down. All their kids go to private school, so they don't know what it to feels to have your kid staring at it t- ten hours on a on a laptop. So I'm like, that's why these stories never even make it to corporate news. It was kind of like, oh, it's all tied in. And then also when I did my inter- like I, just, I was just realizing a lot of stuff, like why a lot of this working class stuff won't make it on the news. Even my internship, it's an unpaid internship. Like how many kids like from a working class background could go to D.C. for three months on an unpaid internship and like afford to st- not only stay in D.C., but then like you also have to be really good at the internship to even get the job. It was just like I found out like, oh, wait journalism is very gay it's a lot of gatekeepers now yeah. and that's why the real stories never make it on corporate media i wanted like the few people that could break in like from immigrant parents yeah. working class you know so so many of those journalists are, are fabulously wealthy yeah you know come from incredibly privileged backgrounds pretend that they don't yeah for, for street cred yeah. yeah they pretend like there's some communists and like they fought against the system when like dude you've been propped up by the system like one of my favorite things was during the black lives matter riots where like people would always tweet like the revolution won't be televised i'm like you, you're being financed by amazon like kamala harris is bailing, bailing out the, you know the rioters like yeah. I, the whole system is backing you yeah losers <laughs> so it's uh it's good to laugh about it now but um Man, wow, yeah, what a big sigh up. And for me, it was interesting because I, you know, the majority of the country, they're sitting back and maybe watching it, um, you know, unfold. I was very lucky that I got to be on the front lines of yeah. it and to see history unfold, um, to see the news and how the propaganda worked. Like I yeah. was just learning so much. Um, well, what what you guys were doing on the ground was saving lives too. I mean, oh, you yeah, look at you. you look at Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, Kyle Rittenhouse is a perfect example of that. Without those videos of him defending himself as he did, oh right, he'd be in jail right now. For I mean, life. you know, right now everybody's you know this guy's a murderer online. You go on Twitter threads, and you know that's all they can say. Um, and that was only like a few of us reporters. I was, my, I mean, I was on the ground for Richie McGinnis on Daily Caller, Shelby Telcop, BG on the scene, Julio Rosas, um, Drew heroes. Hernandez with, yeah. with with TPSA, Kaylin uh, as also with TPSA. It was just six, seven guys with the cell phone, and and I remember I went off, uh, went to uh, I went on Fox News after this, and I wanted to make the point to the national audience. I said. Obviously, look, this is a big win for self-defense and college. It's all good. I'm not taking any, way for any of that. The big win is actually more for independent media. Yeah. Because independent media, six, seven guys with cell phones beat out the f- massive amount of corporate uh, press and uh, big tech. I mean, I remember, if you remember, Bryce, during that time, you couldn't even tweet, like, free Rittenhouse because they would just ban, like, Facebook wouldn't even allow the hashtag. So you had... A big tech working with with the corporate media, uh, just kind of flooding out this government. narrative and the government. And I would and I one of my favorite moments was when the trial happened, was to go on Twitter and a bunch of leftists would go, "Oh, I'm barely finding out today that he didn't kill any black people." All right, that was the first half of our episode with Jorge Ventura. Join us for the second half tomorrow for part two. But also, here is the website for California Young Artist Symphony. It is cyasymphony.org. If you want to buy tickets for that special event, February the 5th, Sunday, 7 p.m. at the Cavley Theater here in Thousand Oaks. Enjoy.